are you guys doing? Good? It is always a pleasure to be here with you. Now, you know, I, I know I say this every time I come, but you guys make us feel welcome in such a way that we just feel at home and we love sharing the Word of God with, with you. Um, thanks. Um, you guys are going through this series called Breakthrough, and as you heard Pastor Mark, um, he asked me to share a story of how God pushed us to break through from, uh, from comfort to obedience in Cancun. So, so I'm going to share a story with you. Um, about a couple of months ago, um, uh, February 11, it was a Sunday after service, my wife and I went to, uh, with our kids to a hotel. Uh, we, we do this like every approximately three months. Uh, we need to disconnect, and, and, and in order to do that, we have to get away. We stay home, we stay working. So we go to a hotel, stay for like a couple of nights, and, and when we do that, I usually do uh, what I call a mini spiritual retreat for myself, where I read the Bible in a different way than I usually do. So in this instance, uh, I prayed to God and I said, uh, please uh, take me to a place where you want to talk to me uh, in the Bible. Um, I usually, well, I always read the Bible from the Bible and I read it systematically. This is not an, an advice on how to read the Bible, okay? But on this instance, I grabbed my app, you know, the Bible Gateway app, and I just went with my finger like that in all the books of the Bible. And, and, and I let it take me to where God wanted to. And it stopped at a book that, honestly, I, I didn't remember the content of that book. It's, it's a tiny book in the Old Testament, a small uh, uh, minor prophet. And, and, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, he took me to the book of Haggai. And, um, and I was like, oh, I don't even remember what's it. I started reading the first chapter and, and let me tell you, I just started feeling goosebumps all over my body. And I knew at that moment that I had to share that, that message uh, uh, with the church. What I, what I didn't realize was the urgency that God had for me to share that message. Um, we're going to study the first chapter of the book of Haggai. And we're going to find two things there. We're going to find that there is a personal application, something that is specific to you. See, I don't know what's happening in your life at the moment, but God is going to talk directly to you about something that is happening or he's waiting for it to happen in your life. And then we're going to find a more general application that is for us as a church. We're all one church in, in, in more than one place, and it applies to all of us, even though it applies in, in, in slightly different ways. So we're going to see those two things. But uh, before we do that, um, I would like to pray for us. I would like to place us in his hands, so if you will join me in prayer. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to serve you. Uh, I thank you for your love, the love that you showed by sending your son Jesus to buy life for us and give us direct access to you. So uh, I'm praying uh, that, that we will get that access today, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be leading uh, today this study, that he will talk to each one of us in our hearts according to where we're standing right now in front of you. Uh, please, Father, uh, be you who speaks. Give us your message, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, Haggai, it's a very small book. It's, um, it only has two chapters. We're going to focus on chapter one. Um, when I start reading, I think that you're going to think you know why he brought this to me, but um, you're going to be surprised uh, when I share with you the end of the story at the end of the sermon. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 15. You don't have it in your program. It didn't fit there. You can follow on the screen. 
Um, then we're going to go and analyze a few of those verses. Bear with me because there are some strange names in this passage, okay? So Haggai 1 verses 1 to 15 says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shalatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earned wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men and beasts and all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shalatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shalatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. See, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that we could uh, learn from, from, from this one chapter of this book. But the, the gist of the message can be summarized in one phrase that I placed on your programs. Finish what you started in the Lord. See, the basic message of the book of Haggai is you have to finish the things that you start in the Lord. See, the reality is that um, we all fail in one area of our lives in these things. You know, we don't always finish what we start. Uh, maybe um, you started writing a book, but you never finished Maybe you started uh, studying a career, but you never graduated. Uh, maybe you decided to lose some weight, but you never hit the weight target that you were after. Maybe for some of you is fixing something in your house that you've been promising you were going to do, but you've never fixed it. Or maybe it applied to some of us. You have to bring down the Christmas lights from in front of your house. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of these projects have been waiting for maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, depending on which one do you look at. But I think that we can all understand why these things happen. See, we lack discipline, and then we learn to justify ourselves. See, Karina, my wife, would come and say, like, it's time to bring the, the lights, the Christmas lights down in January. And I'm like, the holidays are not even over. You know, wait a second. And we're really busy right now with the Christmas stuff, and let's wait. February comes, and it starts raining. So it's raining. We can't bring them down. 
March and April come in Easter week, you know, spring break. Then comes the summer, it's too hot. You know, I can't bring them in the summer. <laughs> September comes and you're like, we have to prepare the fall series and Christmas is around the corner. Then October, November comes like, what's the point? Just connect them again, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, just leave them there year-round. Huh? I think we all get that, you know. Um, it applies in one area of our lives or another. We're good to start things, but not very good at finishing them. Well, this is what the book of Haggai is about, but as you're going to see in a minute, he's specifically talking about things that pertain the Lord. Before we move forward with this, I would like to talk a little bit of, um, uh, about Haggai, uh, who he was, and, and a little bit of the context of what's happening, so we understand why is the Lord talking to the people of Israel in this way. Uh, Haggai is what is called a minor prophet, not because his work is less important, but because it's a very small book. The small uh, books in, in the Old Testament are called minor prophet. And it's what's known as a post-captivity prophet. See, the, the life of the people of Israel is divided in three, pre-captivity, captivity, and post-captivity. Haggai was the first prophet post-captivity. And we know that because one of the uh, singularities about Haggai is that he was very precise with dates. He reminds us of Luke in the New Testament, that he's such a good historian. Well, Haggai is very specific with his dates. And we can see that in, in verse 1. Look at what it says there. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand uh, of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. We'll, we'll continue in a second. See, the second year of um, Darius the Great or Darius the First was the year 520 before Christ. Okay, we'll, we'll remember that because it's, it's, it's important. 520 before Christ. Now, the first day of the sixth month, uh, in our calendar, that would be the first of June. Remember that date because it's going to surprise you at the end. Uh, in their calendar, it wouldn't have been the 1st of June because uh, their calendar did not start with January, it started with April. So it would have been something like the 1st of September, but their months were based on the moon calendar, were a little bit shorter, so it would have been something like the end of August. But just remember June 1st, okay? Forget all the other stuff, okay? Then it tells us um, who is he talking to. It says uh, to Zerubbabel, uh, the son of Shalatiel, governor of Judah, the province where Jerusalem is, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So he's talking to very important people, and as we continue to read, we see that he's also talking to the whole remnant of Israel, okay? Now, we need to understand the context of what they're at. Remember that the people of Israel was um, released from captivity in the year 538 before Christ. That's 18 years before this is happening. This is 520. That happened in 538 when Cyrus, you know, the, the king of Persia, took over Babylon. You know, and, and, and we don't see these things in the book of Haggai. You have to go to another prophet called Ezra to understand why this happened. See, Ezra shows us how even though Cyrus was a, a pagan king who didn't know God, God knew exactly who he was. Because in the book of Ezra, it tells us that Cyrus one day woke up in the morning and felt a weight in his heart to rebuild the temple of the God of the universe. You know, so, so he says, okay, we have to let the Jewish go back to their land because they need to rebuild this temple. You know, so he releases them in 538 and he tells them, start rebuilding. 
The people of Israel go back to Jerusalem. They start rebuilding the temple. But the people around them, especially Samaritans, are not very happy. They know that if they start becoming powerful again, soon they're going to subjugate everyone around. So they write to the king and they try to convince them to stop, but they don't listen. So they start building. But in 536, there's a change in power and comes as the king of Persia, a guy called Artaxerxes. If you're looking for a name for your baby, there is Artaxerxes, okay? So Artaxerxes comes into power and, and the guys around Jerusalem write to him and they say these things. They say, you're making a mistake. See, you should look into the history of your own people and you'll realize in your archives that when Jerusalem becomes strong, their kings are rebellious people. They're going to stop paying taxes. They're going to rebel against you. So you should stop this nonsense. And Artaxerxes does precisely that. He sends people to study the archives and says, he's telling the truth. They're telling the truth. These guys are going to rebel against me. So he sends word and says, stop rebuilding the temple. See, at this point, this is 536, two years have passed. The Jewish people have rebuilt only the altar, precisely where it had been originally, but just the altar. So they have been doing sacrifices in the altar. They've been celebrating all the uh, festivities that were solemn for the Jewish people. So when they tell them, stop rebuilding, they feel comfortable with what they have accomplished. And they were like, all right. And they just stop. You know, they're doing the Holocaust. You know, they're doing their sacrifices. So they think, we're good with God. You know, we don't have to keep going. They told us to stop, so they stop rebuilding. And this is why, you know, 16 years later, God is going to confront them. And how does God confront people in the Old Testament? Through prophets, which shows us what prophets are. See, what God does is when there's an area that he's not happy with, he starts weighing the heart of his prophets with this weight, you know, that starts like suffocating them and they start speaking about it. They start telling the people, they start sharing the weight that God puts in their hearts with the people around them. And if you think about it, you know, we still have people with prophetic hearts around us today. And they don't come and say, thus says the Lord. God just puts a weight on their heart about a certain situation and they start talking about it and they start acting upon it. And this is why we have things like Rescue Pink or, or, or Mark Taylor working in Asia or Kim Jones working in the Philippines or this church for the nations. These are weights in the heart of people that God puts his weight and starts sharing words with us and they, and they start acting upon it. Sometimes these are words of encouragement. Sometimes there are confrontations. Sometimes they are exhortation. And this is what we see with Haggai. If you notice, Haggai started with confrontation and then he moves to encouragement. Look at verses 2 and 4. We can see there the confrontation. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Remember that word ruins because it's going to become important a little bit further down. See, these guys became very comfortable in all they care about their houses. Now, earlier um, I said that uh, you know, we all procrastinate in different areas of our lives. The truth is, there are things that God is not going to care that much about if you procrastinate, like bringing down the Christmas lights, you know. I don't think he's going to care much about that. But when these things are important to God, he's going to confront you. See, this issue is of great importance to God, especially in Old Testament times. Why? Because if there is no temple... 
There is no place for the presence of God to reside among his people. You remember from the moment they left Egypt, he first gives them the tabernacle, you know, and there's the presence of God. And then they build the temple, and there's the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. You know, so if they don't rebuild the temple, he's saying, I want to reside among my people, so rebuild my temple. So this is very important to God. And if it's very important to God, it has to become my priority. Okay? Now, I want you to notice that God, during those 16 years, has already been working, doing things to call their attention. We see this in verses 5 and 6. It says, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. See, five times in this two-chapter book, the prophet says, consider your ways. What he's saying is, reflect upon your life. Look at your own life. Look how you're living your life, and then look at what's happening in your life. What results are you getting because of the way that you're living your life? And then he starts talking about the results that they're getting because of the way they're living their lives. He says, you have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, and you're still cold, and you earn wages, and they disappear like if you had holes in your pockets. So he's really shaking them and saying, have you noticed that it doesn't matter how hard you work and how much you earn, it's no good to you? It doesn't satisfy you? You still feel unfulfilled? Haven't you noticed what's happening? You know, so to call our attention, he's going to say first, look how you're living your life. Look what you're doing and compare it to what I have asked you to do. But have you noticed that when you pursue the things of this world and it's not what I have asked you to do, you don't feel satisfied? Then in verse 8, he's going to tell them exactly what he's expecting them to do. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Remember that uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 tells us that everything is God's, belongs to God, comes from God, and it's for His glory. So everything that we do in life should be for the glory of God. And he's saying, build these that I may be glorified. See, these people started building the temple 18 years before, worked for two years, and then they stopped and they have not finished. And this is of great importance to God. So he says, get to work. Do what I told you to do. You know, glorify me with your life. And then he's going to continue in verse 9, and this is like a, a big eye-opener to them and to us. Look what it says. It says, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. He says, yes, you are full of futility. You are working and working and working. You think it's going to come to a lot, but it comes to very little. And even that little, I blow it away. You know, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you. And it's important that you be honest with yourself. Are you working really hard and bringing whatever results that you get from your work to your house, but you feel still empty? You feel like that is not enough? You know, I think that you have to check your priorities. You know, uh, God is telling you, uh, do you know why there are holes in your pocket? Because I made them so that you would realize how you're living your life and look up to me. So get to work in what's important to me. Go up to the hills, get wood, build my house. I will be glorified. See, th this is the reality. Any person 
that has ever walked holding the hand of the Lord and being faithful and obedient for a season knows that he can keep you warm even without clothes, that he can make you feel satisfied even if you eat little, that he can cover your needs even if your salary is small. But you know what I have never seen? A person whose center is not God that is satisfied with whatever he earns. It doesn't matter how much you earn, you're still not satisfied. And remember I said to remember that word ruins? Here's where it comes relevant in verses 10 and 11. It says, therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men and beasts and all their labors. See, that word drought has exactly the same root as the word ruins. So what he's saying here is, I am causing a drought. You're going to make my house to be desolate. That, that word, the root means desolate, deserted, or empty. It says, you're going to keep my house deserted. I'm going to make sure that your house is just as desolate. See, in the Old Testament, we see how when God wants to call the attention of people, what he does is he causes a recession. All of a sudden, things do not produce anything. In the New Testament, he does the same thing, but it also means something else. See, he's talking about your heart. He's going to cause your heart to feel deserted, to be desolate when your priorities are upside down. So it doesn't matter how much you work and how much you produce or how little, you're still feeling completely empty. He says, I am going to withhold all my blessings in different areas of your life, so you're going to look up at me. Until you don't have your priorities in order, you will have no satisfaction. Uh, it, it is really amazing to me how the times have not changed that much since Haggai to our times. You know, people can have great possessions and still feel very unsatisfied. You know, before I um, became a pastor, um, I, I worked as a business consultant for, for a number of years, and, and God really blessed me and gave me the privilege of traveling around the world, uh, uh, giving seminars on leadership, human relations, and, and it was common that I would get to know these really powerful people, people that, according to the world, they would be very successful. And, and during the seminar, I would connect with them, and, and normally one of the nights that I was there, they would say, hey, we'd like to come to our house and have dinner. I want to introduce you to the family. And I would come to these places and just be like amazed at the wealth that some of these people had. And, and it was very interesting because, see, at the end of all seminars, I always landed in the spiritual realm. And throughout the seminars, when we were talking about goal setting and reaching things and stuff, you could see the face of these guys very excited and, and proud of themselves. But when we got to the spiritual part, their face usually changed, and they started looking very somber. And, and it was very common that at the end of the seminar, they would come and have a one-on-one -on -one with me where they would open their heart. And it was just really heartbreaking to see what a desolate heart they had. You know, relationships, their emotional life, you know, in ruins. Why? Because their priorities were upside down. See, these were people from the world. But you realize that Haggai is talking to us He's talking to the Jewish people. So if your priorities are upside down, you're going to feel very unsatisfied. Now, I need to be very honest with you. Um, 
the message of the book of Haggai is not, you have to go out and build me a building right now. That's not his message. His message is, you have to obey God. You have to do what God asks you to do. When he shows himself and starts talking to you through his Holy Spirit, you have to obey. See, I put as a personal application in your program this. Is get your priorities in line with God's. See, this is the application that will change the way that you're doing life. If you align your priorities with God's priorities. Because the message of Haggai for us right now, for you as a person, is this. If your priorities you know, are in line with God's priorities, you're going to have great satisfaction even if what you are bringing home is small. And you're going to have a great delight in the blessings when they're big. Because this is not a matter of how much money you make or how many things you have. It's a matter of whose priorities are you following. If they are God's priorities, regardless of what you're doing in life and what you're getting in life, you're going to feel satisfied. You're going to feel fine. But if they are not, it doesn't matter what you get. It doesn't matter how far you get. You're still going to be unsatisfied. So here is the thing for you today. Even as I am speaking and saying these things, God is talking to you. And there must be something going in your life that if you are not feeling satisfied, God has been asking you to do, but you're not doing it. And these are things that oftentimes you have even told yourself, I have to do this, I have to do this. You know, maybe you hear talk about projects or missions or groups that are being helped or, or, or different ministries in the church and your, your heart jumps. He says, you have to participate in this. You have to help me do this. I want you to, he puts a weight in your heart, but you ignore it. Maybe it's a, an even more practical thing. Maybe he's telling you, you know that relationship is leading you astray. You, you know you have to end it. And you have refused to. Or maybe he's telling you, formalize that relationship. Do it correctly under my eyes. Or maybe he's telling you, you know, that habit that you have, you have to reach out for help. Put, put, put yourself in the hands of people that love you and let them help you. Or maybe he's telling you, you need to start this new habit so you get closer to me. I don't know what it is. But he's talking to you and he's saying, finish what you started in the Lord. You have told yourself, I have to do this, then move forward. So he's talking to you right now, and the question at the end is going to be whether if you're going to listen and finish and glorify him or continue to live in futility. Now, for the church, it's a different thing. And it's likely different for, for, for this side of the family in Houston than for Cancun. But let me tell you the, the end of the story in Cancun. Um, there has been three times in my life that God has been very, very clear about things that all of a sudden he wanted me to do that I knew were going to change many things. The first time uh, was when, when Mark actually called me to invite me to move here to Houston. See, um, 2007, we were celebrating the um, 50th wedding anniversary of my parents. All the family was in a small hotel celebrating. The next morning, I woke up, I had my quiet time, and I started feeling this weight in my heart. I mean, I started feeling anxious, feeling like something was about to change. There was like this cycle that was ending and one was starting. And I mean, I, 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 I went to talk to my wife and I said, something is weird, something is changing. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, I, I, we're about to have a change. And she was like, 
it's maybe the wedding anniversary, maybe you ate too much last night, come down, you know. Uh, we walked out of the room, you know, the hotel, we were going to breakfast. Like, I was 10 steps away from the door when I said, I forgot my phone. We turned around, opened the door, and the moment that we stepped in, my phone started ringing. After five years of not talking to him, it was Mark. And I pick up the phone, and he's like, hey, it's Mark, how are you? Like, if I was going to say, oh, hi, Mark, you know, like, I don't know, Mark who? You know, Mark Shook. I was like, what's up? I want you to move to Houston. I want for us to work together, join the church, start the Comunidad de Fe project in Mexico together. You know, Ma Karina couldn't believe it. I was like, there it is. The second time was when we were asked to start building. See, for almost a decade, we had a piece of land in Cancun, and Mark would call me, you know, every year would say, do you think it's time to start building? And I would say, no, you know, I haven't heard anything from the Lord. I don't see the church ready. The area is not right. In the beginning of 2014, at the same time, Mark, in his time, Karina, in her quiet time, and me and mine, received from the Lord, it's time to start building. We called each other. We almost interrupted each other. Like, guess what God told me? Me too. Yeah. You know, like, all right. Yeah. So we, we moved forward, start building. And the third time was this. When he took me to Haggai 1, and I started reading, and I was like, we have to build. And see, I realized this is urgent. You know, I just didn't realize how urgent. I'll tell you what I thought at that moment. I thought, okay, I have to go back. You know, we were about to finish a series, so I knew I had to finish the series. And I thought to myself, then I'll start praying next week and see when God wants me to share this message with the church. You know, maybe it'll be later. So we came back. We had our Thursday evening service. We have a Thursday instead of Saturday there. So we finished the service, and the, uh, the executive pastor, Emilio, we, we were supposed to have some meetings the next morning, comes and says to me, I can't go to the meetings uh, the owners of the building where we have church uh, asked me to have breakfast with them. So um, I'm going to meet with them and then I'll catch up with you. That's not uncommon. So we're like, all right. Friday comes. Like at noon, he calls me and says, I need to talk to you urgently. And I was like, okay. I go to his house. Says, what happened? He says, like, well, the owners of the building where we're at decided to rent the whole building full time to the water company of Cancun. And we have until June 1st to get out. It was not a negotiation. It was not a, we're going to raise your rent. You need to get out. At that moment, I was like, Hagai! You know, like, <laughs> God had not asked us, please step out of the boat in faith. He flipped the boat. Okay? <laughs> so, at that moment, we knew uh, we had two options. The first one was, Let's start looking for another place to rent and move the church temporarily to another place. Um, there are two problems with that option. First, there is not a place in the city of Cancun that is large enough to hold us as a church. There's auditoriums that have no classrooms or, or schools with classrooms with no auditoriums. The only way we could do that is move to the hotel zone, pay four times the rent that we're paying there, kill half the church. That's the first problem. The second problem is, God had just said, move out and build. So what I told the church is, we have to go with the only option, which is, we're going to build as fast as we can. I gave them a plan. You know, I told them the numbers. They were all in shock. But we started moving, and things started happening. And I have to tell you, the church in Cancun responded beautifully. 
You know, that month, because this happened two months ago, the next month, we had the biggest offering towards construction since we started the campaign. People responded and they're excited. But here's where we stand. At this moment, this is how our building looks. This is how far we are. And this, believe it or not, because the walls are pre-built, so they're going to come up very fast. We're about 70% you know, into the project. But we need to bring it to this. And we know that it's going to take a miracle. We're not going to put you know, paved streets yet. We're not going to put any green areas. We're going to enter with the bare minimum. But just to do that is going to take a miracle. And personally, I am expecting to see it. Because God is going to act on this, OK? Now, you are part of our church. You know, we are the same church. So here is where you come into play. What I'm going to ask you to do is every day from now on until June, I want you to pray to God. Believe with us. Pray with us. Don't pray for us. Pray with us. And go to God and tell him, Father, we want to see your miracle. We want to see you in action. Build your church. And then if you dare, tell God, use me, Father. In whatever way you see fit. You know me. You know my situation. Use me. And if you truly believe, you're going to see a miracle. Not only in the church. You're going to see his glory in your life. And this is what I'm praying for. That you're going to believe. Because the Bible says that that's the only way to live life, by faith. And then your life is going to be glorified in God with your faith. Now, it'd be very easy for me to say, okay, let's pray and let you go just thinking, we have to pray for the church. Don't forget, the most important thing to God is what he had already showed you about your life. Because that's what you have to start acting now. Be very easy to hide behind, okay, okay, I'll just pray for the church and I'm good with God. You're comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Obey. Break through from comfort to obedience and your life will be blessed.